What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 365, coming at you the second week of December. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I am Jen Kirkman. I am a comedian. My Netflix specials, I'm going to die alone and I feel fine. And Just Keep Living are streaming now on Netflix. And of course, I am also an author and of course... And uh, this podcast is just me where I come to talk about what's going on in my life, what's going on in my head, maybe a little what's going on in the world, but uh, it's just where I come to be real. It's sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always honest, always real. So you get what a podcast is, right? Sometimes the ladies could explain it a little more because dudes are in their comments like, this is not funny. Well, that's why I mentioned my comedy specials that you can go enjoy if you want something guaranteed funny. But if you just want to listen to someone talk... You know, like Joe Rogan without the conspiracy theories. You stay right here with No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast. This week, I will talk to you about an article about the case for doing nothing. I did end up watching this Christmas decorating show on Netflix. I am in the ongoing saga of do I or don't I show up to my dentist appointment I did my Christmas show this week. I might do a little self-help corner. I feel like that might be helpful for the holidays. Uh, Listener emails, things that shouldn't annoy them, but do. And that, I guess that's it today on No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast. So 
Everybody, I invite you, iSeemFun at gmail.com. Email me to tell me the non-holiday holidays that you're having this year, Hanukkah, Christmas, whatever. If you're not going home to your family, if you're spending it alone, something like that, please email me and tell me what you're doing, iSeemFun at gmail.com. I will read them on the Christmas episode. So get those to me as soon as you can, just so that everybody knows what everyone else is doing. I think that is of interest to people. So, oh my God, I was... <laughs> so... Thank you to everyone who came to the Jen Kirkman Dysfunctional Christmas Show. I had a great time. I did not see any of your comments in the chat. I did talk to my mom today, and she's like, well, I had trouble logging on to the show, and I ended up watching it on Saturday, but I, it was so weird. So something happened where I couldn't get the video to play on Friday, but then I saw the chat pop up, and I sat there at the computer with my glass of wine, and I said, well, I'll just read the chat. And I don't get mad, but I typed in, hi, this is Jen's parents, and we're watching the show. And oh, my God, people called us a legend. But anyway, so my mom read the chat comments, and she said that people were loving the Christmas show. I didn't see the comments uh, per my choice. So thank you all who said nice things. Who knows? Maybe you only said it because my mom was watching, but I appreciate you doing that, that in and of itself is a kind gesture. So, oh, also there's a Patreon version of this podcast. If you want to watch the video version, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. I always say it's like getting four comedy specials a month because you're getting to see me. And during the December episodes, you get to see me next to my Christmas tree. And with the Patreon video version, I talk up front on the video directly to the video for about anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes that you don't hear on this episode. So there's that. Then if you subscribe to Patreon, you get extra audio bonus episodes about something going on in celebrity or pop culture every week, depending on what level you're at, be it 5, 10, 15, 20, blah, blah, blah. And as the levels go up and up, there is uh, more bonuses and merchandise. So please join me. I will not be on tour in 2020 or 2021. And this is my tour. And this is uh, one... I guess, third of my salary. So come on down and uh, pay my bills. Um, That is exactly what this Patreon is for. It's to get us through this pandemic time. But I think I will always have it because I started it before the pandemic, but it happened to land the month that it happened. Maybe I'm the one who planned the whole thing. Maybe it all leads to me. I just so obviously said it and let it slip that I spread COVID so that I could start a Patreon so that people would pay for the podcast. I'm sorry you caught me. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. So I was having this ongoing drama last week that I had chipped a tooth, but it was like a porcelain veneer. So it's like there's still like a stub of a tooth underneath it and it was just the back of it. So you can't tell by looking at me that anything's chipped, but I know it's chipped and I know that it means the rest of it could be ready to fall off at any time. So I'm wearing a mouth guard when I sleep and I called my dentist to make an appointment. And again, this, I I don't understand. There is so much weird shame around COVID and there's so much fear around asking for our needs to get met. You know, you have to have the COVID conversation. It seriously reminds me of sex education 
when I was growing up where it was like, you have to stop what you're doing and ask someone to put on a condom and they may get upset, but this is you taking care of your health. I mean, I don't actually remember if anyone said that at all, to be honest, but it's, that is, you know, kind of the, um, that would be like the safe sex thing. Right. And I actually don't remember any sex ed in high school. I do remember a teacher putting a condom over a banana and it was, it's always the dude teacher. And it's always like looking back, I go, did he get off on that in some weird way? I really don't remember anything. I'm like, I just think I'm old enough now that just memories are just, they're just being auto deleted by my brain. So anyway, when I call somewhere, I ask what their COVID, you know, precautions are. And I have never not, except one person who is this woman that did outdoor hair, I have not so far had great luck with people not being a little scoffing at me, you know? And when I called the dentist last week, I, I, I felt this vibe that the receptionist was offended by me. I, I really did. I said, now I'm really very overly cautious about COVID. I do have a pre-existing condition and I would love to know what your I said, I really haven't gone anywhere without a mask on at all. And so I know I'd be without a mask in the dental chair. So I really would love to know, you know, what's kind of going on in there. What are the precautions? And she's like, well, I mean, immediately went to, we get tested every few weeks, which again, don't brag about that. That is not often enough. Uh, I don't know how often the doctor is being tested, but she said, well, we have the HEPA filters in the office, blah, blah. I can give you the 10 a.m. And I just, something inside me went, they're mad that I even asked. I feel like they, because, you know, you can say to me all you want, Jen, that the dentist office has to take it seriously because they don't want to get it either. But here's the thing with that argument, that other people don't want to get it either and they're more scared of you than you are of them. That's like what people say about spiders and bugs as well. But here's the thing. Spiders and bugs are not more scared of me than I am of them because they don't have the same fear mechanism that tells them a story. They're just acting completely on instinct and trying not to get squashed, if even that. So no, I am more scared because I'm a human who's inventing a story who's like, oh my God, there's a million more where that came from. Oh my God. You know what I mean? So you're wrong. Secondly, I don't know if the people at the dentist's office are more afraid of me coming in and giving them COVID than they are of giving me it. Because most people now, most people, and again, I listen, I'm no fan of Trump and I'm no fan of anyone at his rallies who are being brainwashed not to wear a mask. But let me tell you something. In my own life, I am dealing mostly with non-Trump supporters and they aren't fucking wearing masks either. And they are vacationing and they are outdoor dining at every fucking turn. And they are going into each other's houses and they are creating pods and deciding what's safe and what isn't. They are very respectful when they have to put on their mask in an establishment that requires it. They don't complain. They don't say, hey, it's only like the flu, but they do it. But in their real life where they have, where they get to decide if they mask up or not, they don't. And that's where people are spreading it. Now, no one I know so far in my close, close life has gotten it. But I have heard from people who have said to me, 
I'm not worried about getting it because most people who get it, it's just like a little bit of a cold. And I don't understand this mentality because some people have it like that. And then sometimes a perfectly healthy 35-year-old dies. You don't know how it's going to affect you. That's why it is scary. Also, there's long haul symptoms. So even if you just get a little bit of a cold, who knows what it will do to your body? Read about the long haulers. You could end up being exhausted for the rest of your life. You could end up having a neurological problem and depression. I I don't want to fuck with this thing. This thing is a monster. And I also have, now I'm not everyday asthma, but I have a reactive breathing thing because of the condition of my smaller bronchioles. So I cannot get respiratory illnesses because they are always worse for me than the average bear. So I think if I got COVID, I wouldn't get the one that's a little bit of a cough because I had something last year at this exact time that was not COVID and it was terrifying and it was a respiratory infection that they could not figure out what it was. It was not responding to steroids. It was not responding to antibiotics. It was not responding to time. I was sick for five to six weeks and it kept coming and going and coming and going. It sounds a lot like COVID to me, but I would have been patient zero had it been. I I got it. It is weird. I mean, someday maybe we'll know. I got it like November 10th. And then it, it was just a cold for a week. And then I flew to San Francisco and did a show for one night. And the next day that I got back, it, it became worse within three days. I couldn't tell if I was getting better or worse. And suddenly it went to like crazy respiratory town. And then it just kept coming and going. And I thought it was gone for a while. And then it came back in December But then I traveled in December, but I was sitting in a writer's room like next to people and nobody got it. So I know it wasn't COVID, but it was so strange how similar it was in so many ways. Minus a lot of other things, just the respiratory part. But again, that's just my thing. Okay, so I don't think necessarily that this doctor's office takes it more seriously than I do. I really don't. I think they might just be like, whatevs. So I just got this feeling in my gut and I called the morning of my appointment and I said, I'm afraid to come in and I'm really sorry to say that, but isn't there a world where I can do a video conference with the dentist and he can tell me if he thinks the rest of the veneer is going to fall off and, and whatever. And she's like, all right, send, just text me a video of your tooth. So I texted the receptionist a video. She showed it to the doctor. She called me back 10 minutes later. She's like, it's a pretty big chunk of the veneer that's missing and you are at risk for the other one falling off. Now it's fine. It's more just like for you, but you know, or we could just fix it. And I said, she's like, what is your pre-existing condition? Now that's what told me that she wasn't taking it seriously the week before when I made the appointment. And also, you don't need to ask what is your pre-existing condition. You shouldn't have to ask. But second of all, everyone should be acting as though they have a pre-existing condition and shouldn't get COVID. It is, you just don't know how it's going to hit you. So I said, well, I'm asthmatic and I have respiratory issues. And I was told by my pulmonologist, do not mess around with this. 
they called me right when COVID went into lock. We went into lockdown over COVID. And she said, okay, okay, okay. Here's what I'll do. We'll give you the 9 a.m. appointment. I will block off anyone else. There will be no one coming in even for a cleaning. And it'll just be you and the doctor. And I thought to myself, isn't that what it always should have been? This is my point. I had a feeling that my 10 a.m. was just, I don't know. I just don't trust it. But I guess I'm going to go and it's, I'm going to be in a room with a doctor who's going to have 95 PPE things on, a shield, a mask. There's going to be HEPA filters in the room and I'll have my mouth open and I'll just hope for the fucking best. So it's a 45 minute appointment on the first day. They're drilling, they're getting the rest of the veneer off and they put a cap on it. And then at the end of December, I come back in for the actual new tooth. So yeah, I mean, it's all terrifying. I'm really scared. Um, I was just reading some guy on Twitter who's like, I've done everything correct. I wore masks everywhere. My friends are vacationing and I just got COVID. And I'm always just like, tell me more. Do you live alone? You know what I mean? I'm always like, you got to give me more details. So anyway, uh, that's I ended up scheduling my tooth appointment. I was my own advocate. You know, when people say that you have to be your own advocate. So I've been feeling this sort of, I don't know how to put it, dread. I mean, I know that we're nowhere near, I I know that we have the vaccine and it's coming, but not everyone's going to have it until second quarter 2021. And then you still have to wear a mask and kind of boring myself. But things will start getting a little more back to normal. And I was talking to a friend about it yesterday where it's like, we feel this anxiety and this tension of something is going to happen when the clock strikes the new year, you know? And it's just going to be like everyone rushing around and acting like COVID is over. And I just have this feeling that everyone will be like, oh my God, it's not 2020 anymore. That was the worst year ever. Oh my God, memes and memes and memes. And 2021, here I am back at the gym. Like, I just feel like everyone's energy. I hate New Year's Eve, New Year's energy anyway, because it's just like when everyone starts dreaming and scheming and the emails from my, you know, all my representatives that are like, do you want to try to develop a show about a girl? No, I don't. Does someone want to pay me to write on an already existing show? Yes. I don't want to develop a thing for free for six months and try this. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I just want to do the things I'm already doing that are paying the bills. Is that so crazy? I would like to have a life. So I'm sitting here just gripping. Just gr- I don't even know what. Like I love this time of year because if you don't have a project in television development, then it's usually a very quiet time of year in show business and you can kind of just chill. And so besides doing my podcast and some part-time writing job, um, so I guess I'm, <laughs> I am busy, but I have time to chill and I'm watching my Hallmark movies and I'm reading and I'm just like, I love that the it's gets dark at 445. And I know that's weird because I do have depression and I'm back on my antidepressants, but it's not the darkness that depresses me. It's the like, everyone running around like everything's normal. And I feel like I don't really have a solid like group, solid group of friends in my corner. You know, I've got individuals who are taking it seriously, but they don't all know each other. Not that we could all get together as a group anyway, but you know, I've got a few friends who are taking it seriously and I I talk to them more than, than anyone else. But 
um, I don't know. It's just I'm in a pandemic and I have depression. But the 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 sun setting at four forty five, I love it because I feel like it just in a city of dreaming and scheming and rushing around, I just feel like everyone shuts the fuck up at 445 because they get so confused that they don't know what to do. And it gets really cold at night and I just love it. It's like this nice feeling of winter and hibernation and I'm just loving it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um... So there was this article in the New York Times called The Case for Doing Nothing. And I thought I would read it. And it's actually from a year ago, from April 2019. About the status of being busy. And I think a lot of people... Now, again, I'm not talking... I'm talking about not people who are essential workers not people who have to wait tables, not people who are moms teaching their kids. I'm talking about people like me who weirdly the life of a TV writer and comedian, as much as we traveled around and spent times like on set in writer's rooms, some, some of us can adapt to the new thing job wise, right? So we go on Patreon, we charge money, we don't tour, but we maybe do a zoom show or, we have a writing job and we're doing it via Zoom and we're so so we're lucky in that way that we can still earn a living. But but the social aspect of you know being busy like creating things or being busy like I have an appointment here, I gotta go have lunch with this person. It's I don't miss any of that. And I've been really enjoying not trying to quote, get something going this year, even though I did end up getting something going. I have a podcast coming out in 2021 about anxiety, like, and there'll be more details on that, but it's a real podcast with a network, like professionally done, blah, blah, blah. Not like this where I'm just babbling off the top of my head, but, but it came very organically to me from sitting and kind of doing nothing and being like, okay, instead of doing what I think I have to do, which in my business would be write a million new scripts so that everyone wants to hire you. I started doing that and I was making myself miserable. And I thought, what do I want to do? And I went, I don't know. I'm going to do nothing and let it come to me. And I did. And then I started wanting to write about anxiety because I wanted to try to help anyone with it. And it was always helpful for me too. And then I started teaching these Zoom classes. And then I pitched a podcast about anxiety. So something really cool came to me from doing nothing. And I, you know, I guess I had the luxury of doing nothing because I had just finished a writing job and I, I, di- I could live on that money for a couple of months. Last year, I didn't do nothing because I was struggling to get work going. So I do understand that we don't always have that luxury, but I'm talking about the extra pressure we put on ourselves to seem busy, you know? So I just wanted to revisit this article from... 2019. Um, 
Keeping busy, running from place to place, and laboring over long to-do lists have been increasingly become ways to communicate status. I'm so busy because I'm just so important, the thinking goes. Perhaps it's time to stop all this busyness. Being busy, even if we are busy, is rarely the status indicator we've come to believe it is. Nonetheless, the impact is real and instances of burnout, anxiety disorders, and stress-related diseases are on the rise. There's a way out of that madness, and it's not more mindfulness, exercise, or a healthy diet, though these things are all still important. What we're talking about is doing nothing, or as the Dutch call it, Nixon. Nixon. What is Nixon? N-I-K-S-E-N. Nixon. I'm probably saying it wrong. It's difficult to define what doing nothing is because we are always doing something even when we're asleep. Doreen Dodgin, Dodgin McGee, a psychologist who studies boredom and wrote the book Deviced, Balancing Life and Technology in a Digital World, likens Nixon to a car whose engine is running but isn't going anywhere. The way I think about boredom is coming to a moment with no plan other than to just be. See, I have a thing where I've never been bored in my life. I've literally been like listless, depressed, tired, maybe uninspired, but bored never because my mind can go a mile a minute. There's always a book to read. Never bored. And when people say they're bored, it's my number one turnoff. I'm like, ew. Even when I'm just talking about like even just friends that text me like I'm feeling bored. I'm like, ugh, that is so gross to me. I, And I don't mean like because you should be busy. I'm just like you can't sit still. I don't know. I, It's really weird. It's like it's like a um. Huge judgment on my part. Huge. But it's like totally bothers me. I don't know why. If anyone relates, you can send me an email. I seem fun at gmail.com. Um, Sandy Mann, a psychologist at the University of Central Lancashire, Lancashire in Britain, added that Nixon can be when we're not doing the things we should be doing because perhaps we don't want to. We're not motivated. Instead, we're not doing very much. But more practically, the idea of Nixon is to take conscious, considered time and energy to do activities like gazing out of a window or sitting motionless. The less enlightened might call such activities lazy or wasteful. But the person who wrote this op-ed for the New York Times, I guess a place called Smarter Living, they said, we at Smarter Living have long been fans of taking regular breaks throughout the day. A study after study shows that feeling drowsy, exhausted, or otherwise mentally depleted during the workday drastically hinders performance and productivity. In other words, whether at home or at work, permission granted to spend the afternoon just hanging out. Generally speaking, our culture does not promise, sorry, does not promote sitting still and that, and sorry, I, ugh, I, I am actually should be having a day of Nixon, but instead I'm recording a podcast on a Sunday and my brain is just like, stop, stop, but I'm not stop. Okay. Generally speaking, our culture does not promote sitting still and that can have wide reaching consequences for our mental health, well-being, productivity, and other areas of our lives. Technology doesn't make it any easier. Our brains are being rewired by being so busy all the time. But the benefits of doing nothing, of idleness, can be wide-ranging. Ms. Mann's research has found that daydreaming, an inevitable effect of idleness, literally makes us more creative, better at problem-solving, better at coming up with creative ideas. For that to happen, though, total idleness is required. Let the mind search for its own stimulation, Miss Mann said. That's when you get the daydreaming and mind wandering, and that's when you're more likely to get the creativity. Counterintuitively, idleness can be a great productivity tool because 
if our energy is totally shot, our productivity is not going to be good because we're not going to have fuel to burn with which to be productive, said Chris Bailey, a productivity expert and author of the blog, A Life of Productivity. Nixon can help you solve problems as well. It takes you out of your mind, and then you see things clearly after a while, said Manfred Ketz DeVries, a professor of leadership development and organizational change at INSEED in Paris. But stopping the cycle of business can be challenging in a culture that prizes getting things done. Here are some tips to help you stop and be. Make time for doing nothing and do it with a purpose. Figure out when you're most productive and creative, then notice when your mind starts to shut off or you start performing tasks just for the sake of doing them. That's when you should go for a walk or take a break. You know what? I noticed that during the pandemic. So when I was working on my own stuff and I could be my own deadline maker, I realized early, early morning works for me. And then between like 12 and five, 12 and six, I'm like, I don't want to do work. And that's when I want to exercise or watch a movie the way that you would watch a movie after dinner. I would want to just like make a big lunch, sit on the couch, watch a movie, and then just kind of read and then, you know, digest and either do some exercise or, you know, like little tasks, like return a phone call or two, maybe clean a little. And then like as the sun would set and it's like six o'clock, it's like, okay, now I want to do more creative work. And I don't always like to work at night, but I just sort of, even though it seemed like the weirdest day, I let myself do that. You know, I'd work till like 10 and I wouldn't do something leisurely, you know? And then some nights I would feel like it. I'd want to like Zoom chat with friends, have a glass of wine, fine, do that on some nights. But every day was different depending on what I felt like doing. And it really drove me crazy because I want to be someone with like a set lifestyle and a set schedule, but I just had to let things come to me when they came to me. And I would build in time for doing absolutely nothing. Sundays would be my nothing day where I'd go, I don't even have an idea of what the day is going to look like. I just do whatever. And I might have goals like, well, I'd really love to read the end of this book, or I'd really love to walk to the farmer's market or I'd, you know, whatever, but there'd be no pressure. There'd be no right way to do it. And, uh, and then I get really bummed. You live that way for a day and then smack dab it's Monday. So I would kind of make sure to not have a lot hanging over my head to do on Monday so that I could kind of ease into it. Right. And like get up really early Monday. I love getting up before anyone else is up, you know, getting up at 6am when it's still dark out gives me this sense of control in that sense of I'm not at the mercy of, Oh my God, I just woke up out of bed and it's 8am and everything's already starting. I can just sort of chill, have a coffee But again, I work from home, no kids, blah, blah, blah. It's totally different. But I do think a lot of people who are in my position are feeling like they're not doing enough and they're not showing enough people on Instagram that they're getting things done in the pandemic. And I just don't, I don't understand that mentality any more regarding the pandemic than I do in real life. Who cares? If someone said Jen Kirkman's the laziest person on earth, I'd be like, thank you. You know, as long as I'm making money and paying bills, I really don't, I I could not care less. So anyway, um, I don't want to get into the like to do's of this because they're, they're pretty obvious, but, um, Mr. Bailey suggests experimenting with different lifestyles to find the right one for you. For example, he lived like a slob for a week and learned that it's important to let the air out of the tires once in a while. Um,
So there you go. Oh, you can't do this during the pandemic, but someone said you could even um, encourage people to host boredom parties during which a host invites over a few friends to be bored together. Oh, it also says your surroundings can have a major impact on how much nothingness you can embrace. So keep devices out of reach, turn your home into a neeks and friendly area, add a soft couch, a comfy armchair, a few cushions, or just a blanket. Well, what does she think? People are just like sitting on wood? Like, <laughs> if someone doesn't have a couch, it's not because they're like, I hate doing nothing. It's because like they can't afford a couch. So they're, that part of the article is stupid. Okay, so somebody emailed me and they asked me if I was watching this show um, on Netflix called Mr. Christmas, something like redecorating with Mr. Christmas. And I was like, no, I don't really, that's not my thing. Well, I put it on in the background as I was doing some like, you know, menial tasks like wrapping gifts and, and all kinds of things. That's not a menial task. That's a pleasure. And so I can't say like that I like studied it too intently, but I didn't love it. I mean, it's totally fine background fare, but I just felt like this guy was, I don't know, kind of phoning it in. It was like, I I just like wasn't that impressed with his Christmas decorating. I mean, it was great, but I don't know. There was just something about it that felt like, I don't know. I just couldn't get into it. I don't know what it is. You would think I would be so into something about Christmas decorations and I would be, but I would rather watch something where someone is making them on their own and showing me how to do it. Did I just say that out loud? I don't know. I, there's, I don't even want to watch that either. I don't want to watch anything like that. And I, I can't believe it, but I did, I did give it a try and it was perfectly great background fare. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So on my Christmas show, people were, that I did online, people were taking, you know, videos of it and posting it on Instagram stories, which was awesome. I loved it. And I, I think I added all of you to my stories and, and thank you for that. I, I loved seeing what it looked like because I didn't watch it. And I loved seeing people, you know, um, share it and, and all that. And this one person, though, I caught them talking shit about me <laughs> while they were up, like they're like watching the show. And so it, I'm, I'm not really offended, but and I truly don't remember who it was and their name or anything. So if they write me like, I'm so sorry, like I don't even it doesn't even matter. But it was just funny because so the dysfunctional Christmas show, like what I've been trying to get across is this is this kind of special night for everyone in the room. And it's always during a crazy time of year when people are really busy, when it's not a pandemic, and they make time to come to the Hollywood Improv. And it's usually a weekend night. And there's a lot of competition, whether it's a Christmas party they have to go to, or they're just exhausted, or they need to Christmas shop. It's really a crazy busy type. I know it's a t crazy busy time of year everywhere. But in LA, the traffic is astounding. 
And over the years, there's just been a lot of dysfunctional things that have happened at the Christmas show. Like one year, it was during these insane fires and like literally everything was covered in ash, like including people's heads because the, you know, the box office is is outside. And um, it's, you know, there's just always something going on. One year, I got dumped on Christmas. And so I always use the dysfunctional Christmas show as a way for me to feel good. You know, it's the last show of the year and it's... um, the holidays can bring up a lot for people if they're traveling and seeing family can be triggering for people or, you know, it's just like it's the end of the year, right? It's when we all start to take stock of things. If people are thinking of New Year's resolutions or you go visit your family and they're like, why aren't you married or why don't you have kids or why are you single or maybe you didn't have enough money for presents this year or something. And I just always like the dysfunctional Christmas show to be this sort of um, very honest celebration of how people are actually feeling and it makes me happy. I mean, it's truly a selfish act. I'm, I love to see it, right? And usually on the show, there ends up being a sing-along and, you know, like special things happen. I remember a couple of years ago, my friend Brian that I went to high school with and I ended up um, rooming with him for one year in college, like, uh, you know, and then like he came out to me in college and then he lives up in San Francisco and he's really funny. And he, he and I were talking like a couple months before my Christmas show, I was up in San Francisco doing a gig and he came to the show and we went out and had a drink after. And he was like, I just want to get on stage. And I was like, look, my audience is great. If you want to fly down to LA and do the Christmas show, Cause he's like, I come to LA all the time for work and on my own dime. And I'm like, well, if you want to come, you can be on the Christmas show. And he also sings and plays guitar. And I was like, sing one of your songs and tell a little story. And then that's it. It'll, I'll give you 10 minutes and you can see what it's like to perform. And then he did. And he sang, um, I think he covered a Belinda Carlisle song. And he told this really funny story that when he was a little kid, he told everybody at school that Belinda Carlisle was coming to his birthday party. And then I I don't even remember the story. It was just very funny. And then people came, but then they didn't care that she wasn't there and they didn't even really know who she was. But then he sang this song and it was great. And it's like, yeah, I put a performer on the show who never performed. And I thought that was funny. And it was an old friend. And like, then at the end of the night, he sang last Christmas by wham in this really slow version. And I laid on top of the piano and the other performers sat on stage and we all like put lighters in the air and like the audience sang along and it was just special and fun. It always just produces a good feeling. Um, you know, I've had people get up and confess like things they've never said out loud to any human before. It's just fun and it's weird and it's different. So whatever, that's the vibe I try to say. So at the end of the night, as I was like, Hey everyone, thanks for coming to the show. Normally, on, you know, at the Hollywood Improv, what I'll do is I'll say how many people feel dysfunctional and I'll say like applaud if you like don't feel like you're, you know, nailing it this year and you just like nod into the holidays and the whole room will applaud and I'll go, good, we found our people and when you go home to your families this year and you feel different, just know that 300 people at the Hollywood Improv agree with you, right? It's not like supposed to be touching. It's like a funny way to start the show. I'm just kind of branding the show is what it is. It's just sort of a a way of saying under this big umbrella, anything can happen tonight. It's kind of a weird show. You know, it's not about like pretending we're all like happy and Christmas songs, you know, it's supposed to be a little bit dark. So I was just kind of giving that spiel at the end of the show. Like 
but but explaining that I can't take the temperature of the room because I'm on Zoom, which is the most dysfunctional of all. And this girl like posts it and she's like, oh, comedians trying to be inspirational again. And I was just like, oh, my God. I mean, I think that is within our DNA. I do think comedians, I don't think we try. I, I hate when people use do that. They go, you're trying to do this. It's like, sometimes it's not conscious and it's not some grand effort. You know, it's just like, that's the heart and soul of a lot of comedians is they like to fix and help. And, and they're also trying to fix and help themselves. And so I don't think that like making people laugh is so far away from inspiring people. And I think that people who see this big disconnect between delivering comedy and delivering any words of comfort, I think they're the ones who don't get it. You know, like, listen, when comedians stop being funny and they start being like motivational speakers, like, I I don't know. I mean, I could see myself easily doing that. I don't want to. I always want to be funny, but you know, you can't like fault. It's not like they're trying something. It's like, they're not a comedian, they're a person, you know, who does comedy. And then maybe, you know, I don't know. I think it was someone else in their household saying that, but it was like, well, if you listen to what I'm saying, you'd hear, I wasn't like trying to be inspirational. Um, but whatever. I mean, everyone can have their own opinions and they can even tag me in them, you know? But, um, I guess I was just a little bit embarrassed. I was like, oh, that's what it comes off as. And now to even do it anymore, I thought I would, just because I think December is a hard month for people. And uh, let's do some, I'll call it self-help corner, although that's not really creative. It should be something that not rhymes with corner, but starts with a hard C, like, Psychiatry corner, but not that because that doesn't start with whatever. Um, Oh, before I do that, let me just remind you all that if you shop in my Tee Public merchandise store, then you will um, be giving money to get healthcare workers the PPE they need. The amount that I get to keep, I donate 100%. And last month we got, this month we're going to donate $757. That, that, that's from the November stuff. Um, I'll get that check soon. And then all of December, let's get those numbers up. So go to jenkirkman.com, click shop. In the show notes, you can find the link. And there should be sales going on all throughout the month of December. And, you know, order now. If you do your ordering by December 9th through 12th, you can, I think, pretty much guaranteed to get your stuff by Christmas Day. And I do have Christmas items in the store. So you want to get your Carol Brady mug that says a Christmas Carol. Come on, you Gen Xers who watch the Brady Bunch. Um, Or, you know, anything, your sweatshirt that says the most wonderful time of the year. Oh, I have one of them, actually. I should show it on the video. Anyway, jenkirkman.com, click shop. And then also link is in the show notes as well. Okay, so. Oh. I just thought, you know, I should do this more prepared next time, but I was uh, just reading from Loving Kindness by Sharon Salzberg, one of my favorite meditation teachers and Buddhism experts. And so I thought I would just read some stuff that I highlighted in the book for myself, not because I thought I was going to read it on the podcast. I just kind of picked this up. I was like, oh, maybe I will. Um, 
Okay. So this is talking about... Uh, the integrity we develop on a spiritual path comes from being able to distinguish for ourselves the habits and influences in the mind, which are skillful and lead to love and awareness from those which are unskillful and reinforce our false sense of separation. The Buddha once said, abandon what is unskillful. One can abandon the unskillful. If it were not possible, I would not ask you to do it. If this un abandoning of the unskillful would bring harm and suffering, I would not ask you to abandon it. But as it brings benefit and happiness, therefore I say, abandon what is unskillful. Uh, the book, Abandoning Unskillful States That Cause Suffering is not something we do out of fear or contempt for those states or out of contempt for ourselves for having those states arise in the mind. Abandoning the unskillful isn't accomplished by angrily shoving or pushing away our habits of separation. Rather, it comes as we learn to truly love ourselves and all beings, so that love provides the light by which we bear witness to those burdens, watching them simply fall away. Rather than obsessively following states of mind such as anger, fear, or grasping, states that will bring harm to ourselves and others, we can let go as though dropping a burden. We are indeed burdened by carrying around habitual, unskillful reactions. As wisdom reveals to us that we don't need these reactions, we can abandon them. An awakened life demands a fundamental revisioning of the limited views we hold of our own potential. And I take potential to mean the potential to drop unskillful states of mind. I don't take it to mean like, you could earn a million dollars this year. Adults, we often feel the same as children when we do not get what we want or when we get what we want only to have it change. It seems as though all the love in the universe has been withdrawn from us. Happiness becomes an either or situation. When we experience, these are just little things I highlighted as these aren't like complete paragraphs going together. Underlying these messages is an expectation that somehow we should be able to control pain or loss. When we experience mental or physical pain, we often feel a sense of isolation, a disconnection from humanity and life. Our shame sets us apart in our suffering at the very times when we need most to connect. Conventional transitory happiness carries a subtle undercurrent, not only of loneliness, but of also fear. When things are going well, when we are experiencing pleasure and are getting what we want, we feel obliged to defend our happiness because it becomes so fragile and unstable. As though our happiness needed constant protection, we deny the very possibility of suffering. We cut ourselves off from it, facing it in ourselves and in others because we fear that it will undermine or destroy our good fortune. We decide that the suffering of others is not relevant to our own lives. We cut ourselves off from facing the world's suffering because we fear it will undermine or destroy our own happiness. In that highly defended state, we withdraw into so terrible an aloneness that we cannot experience true joy. How strange our conditioning is to feel so alone in our pain and to feel so vulnerable and isolated in our happiness. The basis of the Buddhist psychological teaching is that our efforts to control what is inherently uncontrollable cannot yield the security, safety, and happiness we seek. By engaging in a delusive quest for happiness, we only bring suffering upon ourselves. We may look for that which is stable, unchanging, and safe, but awareness teaches us that such a search cannot succeed. Everything in life changes. The path to true happiness is one of integrating and fully accepting all aspects of our experience.
And then it talks about love. The simple act of being completely present to another person is truly an act of love. No drama is required. Um, wisdom tells me I am nothing. Love tells me I am everything. Between the two, my life flows. So there you go. Just a little self-help spiritual corner. I love reading that book. I read a little bit of it every morning. Oh my God, what a peaceful morning. And then for everybody, I hope, um, I was going to read something else, but I can't find it. Okay, there you go. I just thought that might be fun. I'll try to make it more streamlined next time I decide to read something. Like I'll, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying, but let's get to the listener emails. Oh my God, we've got a doozy here. Okay, so it, this email, I talked last week about the documentary about D.B. Cooper, and I talked about smoking on airplanes, and listener Mark has written in. This is the craziest story. Um, totally agree about the good old days of air travel. When I was a kid, we used to get dressed up for even local flights from San Francisco to Seattle. But the smoking on planes part really brings back fond memories. In 1988, I was flying from New York City to Tel Aviv for my military service. And about an hour from crossing into continental Europe, there was an explosion in one of the engines of the 747 inboard engine. It wasn't far from my seat, and I saw the gaping hole in the cowling, and the engine started to flame out. Since it was LL Airlines, there was a huge rush of passengers going to the back of the plane. About half of the people were religious and going to pray. The other half were just typical Israelis who were going to smoke. I was more of the latter, though I prayed a bit when the religious guys asked me to wrap Teflon. The plane filled with smoke from all of us smoking in the back. It was at a time when smoking restrictions on planes were just rolling out and you could smoke in the back of the plane, but not in your seat. It got so bad that the crew had to ask us to go back to our seats since the weight of everyone going to the back was throwing off the balance of the plane. Given that we were on three engines and still seven, several hundred miles from land, most of us complied, but I had already smoked half a pack by that time. Epilogue, because there were concerns that there may have been more bombs on the plane, both Heathrow and de Gaulle wouldn't give clearance to land, and we had to fly to Amsterdam as the engines were failing. They had dang tanks on the runway to greet us, not knowing if there were terrorists also on the plane. But in the end, there were no casualties. El Al brought in a new plane from Israel the next day to pick us up, and we all had plenty of cigarettes to smoke on the unexpected second leg of the flight from Europe to Israel. <laughs> oh my God. That is a crazy, crazy story. And it's just, I mean, that. what else can you do except pray or smoke if uh, a, a, some kind of explosion goes off in your plane? And they've taken away our right to smoke. You can always pray, but you can't smoke. And I, what if smoking is my religion? Not getting lung cancer from your secondhand smoke is mine. Well, I don't really smoke, lady. It's just a, just saying stupid shit on the podcast. Jennifer, I hope you're not really smoking. It is so bad for you. I quit. I'm not really smoking. If I smoke one cigarette, I literally get a cold and a cough. I'm not kidding. I can't even have one or like seven days later, all the cilia being destroyed makes me sick. Oh, it's so sad. Um, 
Okay, everybody's writing to me telling me that the one aisle in the supermarket thing that somebody was complaining about is a COVID thing. So I have been a rich bitch who doesn't go to the grocery store. I've been getting delivery. So I've been to CVS, but I haven't been to the grocery store. So that's why I didn't understand what this one lane thing was, or I go to the farmer's market to get my vegetables. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I'm an Instacart person. Um, And if everyone's like, what does that mean, rich bitch? I feel like there are so many characters that used to show up on this show. They're all me, but that I forgot to You know, it's just been so many years since I've done some of these people that I feel like new listeners are like, who is this? And people don't remember. But years and years ago, a friend of mine from childhood, her sister on Facebook, out of the blue, didn't get one of my jokes that I made. Like I was I was Facebook, you know, commenting with. I think I'd written a post on my Facebook wall. This is way back in the day at my old apartment where the toddler upstairs literally sounded like he was throwing bowling balls 12 hours a day. And I live in LA where there are beautiful free parks and the beach and everything. And his dad and mom, who were both home all day, I don't know what they did, never took him outside. And it was insane. And he had so much energy. And I wrote a post on Facebook saying, hey, to the moms out there, what the hell do I do? How do I gently suggest to them that they should take their kid outside? And my friend's sister wrote, I can't imagine not taking my kid outside. My kids and I just went to the beach and we brought our books. And I wrote in the reply, I've known this woman my whole life since I was five years old and I'm now 40 years old writing this. And I wrote like jokingly like books what nerds? And I wrote, LOL. But but I know I was, I was like, oh, I love to hear that people are still reading books and bringing books to the beach like that. Like you're such a good mom, something like that. And I'm like, sorry if there's any bullies out there who are like books, what's that? I'm going to kick sand on you, you know, something like that. And she like, didn't get it and thought I was saying, and she just wrote back, You are horrible. You rich bitch. You just sit there buying yourself things and working on Chelsea lately and promote. And you've been totally brainwashed by Barack Obama. And I don't know where that came from. And she was like, and you are just a rich bitch who does no idea what it's like to be a mother. And how dare you say that there should be a bully that kicks sand in my child's face or something like that. And I was like, what? And it was just this crazy thing of calling me a rich bitch when I'm like writing about an apartment I live in, you know? Oh my God. And so I showed my friend and she's like, oh my God, my sister's off the rails. Like her sister just got really, really weird and just bizarre views about things and a very victim martyr about being a mom. And so anyway, she was like, I I, I can't get her to forgive you or believe you that you're making a joke. And that she's like, I, I, it's so weird. She just keeps calling you a rich bitch. So then it became... There was another person in my family. It's like someone that an extended family member of mine is married to, who on the day my book about not wanting kids came out, she wrote this long Facebook post called For the Moms. But the whole Facebook that day was people like, Jen's book is out, Jen's book. And it was like, for the moms, we choose diaper bags over, you know, Chanel purses and we don't get our hair done and we don't take a shower. It's this whole victim thing that like mothers don't have time to do anything. And so I combined these two people to make 
And so, by the way, this woman who wrote for the moms, her whole Facebook is her writing about her work drama. And it's always the person sitting next to her that's the problem, not her. And her whole thing is like, I'm a mother. I don't have time for this. But it's like, you do have time because I see you on Facebook making time for it all the time. And so the rich bitch lady became like this hybrid woman who's like, I... I'm not a rich bitch living in Los Angeles with her purses. Like, I don't have time to do that because I'm just taking care of my kids and feeding the family. Anyway, so she's called the um, live, laugh, love lady because she loves things like live, laugh, love. So I really miss the live, laugh, love lady. And she calls people rich bitches and says she doesn't have time for anything. And uh, so I don't know where she is. Every once in a while, I'll just go into her voice on this podcast. And it's a voice that's made up because it's not really based on anyone. But anyway... That's why if you're like, why does she say rich bitch? And you can get, hey, get some rich bitch merchandise um, in my store, jenkirkman.com slash shop. Um, well, that was a long thing that didn't need to keep going on. Hi, Jen. I wanted to write about things that are annoying and I've been waiting to hear my biggest pet peeve mentioned since I have not. I'm starting to wonder if I'm just a curmudgeon in need of anger management. Let me know what you think. I am annoyed when people use speaker phones to talk on their phones in public places. If you do not have headphones, hold the damn phone to your ear. Do not subject the people around you to your inane conversation. It's selfish and rude. You're holding the phone just a few inches from your face. How much harder is it to hold it to your ear and have a private conversation? I also hate when someone parks their car across two parking spaces so that no one parks alongside him and her. This is especially heinous in a large parking lot with ample parking. Just park far away from everyone. I don't want to get my doors dinged in, so I park the farthest point from where I'm going. The extra steps are an added bonus. Is it just me, Michelle? No, Michelle, I would assume that people are unanimously agreed about speakerphones and just so much so that they didn't even write in because it's just like, yeah, yeah, we all, I, I really do believe that. I never realized that that's why people take up two spaces until you wrote it. Are they, they're trying to avoid someone bashing into their car? I never knew that. That is un, I never thought about that. I just, where I live, it's just like people park badly because they never really learn to drive. Huh. My mind is a little bit blown. What else did I want to tell you about? I mean, I guess really nothing. I mean, what has gone on in my mind and my head this week? I mean, not much. I thought about the tooth over and over. <laughs> I... I thought about how psyched I am to do nothing and how I don't want anyone approaching me with their New Year's energy. I watched a few more Hallmark movies. I'm not loving them this year. There was one I really loved about a family who had to pretend that they were guests at an inn that their dad ran instead of his family because they thought that this bed and breakfast reviewer was there. And she was, but it wasn't who they thought it was. And it wasn't even a woman. Anyway, it was actually really well done, really silly, and just kind of a plot that I'd never seen before. But then there were just some other ones where it just missed the mark completely for me. I'm watching one right now called Timeless Christmas, where this guy comes back from 1903. He time traveled from 1903. And he's now in what was his house. It's now been turned into a museum. And this woman who's really into his life, she's like, runs the Whitley Museum. Anyway, so she finally figures out that this guy who keeps claiming he's Mr. Whitley isn't an actor trying to get a job working at the museum. It really is him. He's time traveled. And she wants to help him get back to 1903. But the thing is, I'm thinking, but if you do that, then 
we've seen this in Back to the Future. You fucked up time and space for everyone. Like, you might not be born if you send him back. So, I don't know. She doesn't seem to be thinking about that. They're clearly falling in love. He might stay. He might stay in the 21st century. I don't know what's going to happen. Tell me what you guys would do. If somebody time traveled, a guy shows up from 1903. Now, this guy was an inventor in electricity, so there's not a whole lot of him being like, what's this? I mean, he's very fascinated by the lights and the microwave, but he seems to, like, his character loved the, the concept of the future, and he was an inventor. So you go, oh, well, that's a perfect person to time travel, right? Because they're not like, oh, my God, I'm so scared of the combustible engine. So send an email to iSteamFun at gmail.com. If a guy or gal or whatever you're into showed up from another time period and you honestly fell in love, would you want them to stay? Or would you think it's too weird to date someone from 1903 or (laughs) 18-something? Or would you be willing to go back in time with them and give everything up? Uh, Let me know your time travel, dating, absolute deal breakers or not. I seem fun at gmail.com. Also, let me know what you're doing for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you do this year. I seem fun at gmail.com. Again, if you want uh, merchandise, jenkirkman.com, click shop. The link is also in the show notes. And I guess that's it. Uh, oh my God, I forgot to say at the top of the show, I'm part of the Misfit Toys Comedy Collective Survey, Jimmy Pardo, Matt Belknap of Never Not Funny. More on that next week. And until next week, have fun. Have fun.